From the Los Angeles Times, this is Coronavirus in California, stories from the front lines. I'm Gustavo Arellano. It's Monday, June 1st. Today, after years of budget surpluses, California is now looking at a financial abyss due to coronavirus. The legislature must pass a budget by June 15th, as required by the state's constitution. And it's looking to be one that will see billions of dollars in cutbacks to programs and institutions that help millions. It's a task that weighs heavily on Assembly Speaker Anthony Rendon. He represents the 70th District, which covers cities in southeast L.A. County that have been particularly ravaged by COVID-19. But Speaker Rendon maintains hope that California will rebound. After all, as he reminds us in this interview, we are the land of boom and bust. Blue Shield of California would like to take this moment to thank the mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, daughters, sons, friends, and heroes on the front line. This fight is tough, but so are you. And we're grateful for your courage and your dedication to keeping us all safe and healthy. Thank you. So, Speaker, what is the Assembly planning to do in the coming weeks to help Californians rebuild? Well, the first thing we we have to do is we have to pass our state budget by June 15th. A lot of the focus, obviously, is going to be on economic recovery relating to what's happened over the past quarter of the year. But a lot is also obviously going to be dedicated uh, toward COVID and, and making sure that the state, from a healthcare perspective, is, is addressing the crisis. Do you think this whole experience is going to further California? And what I mean by that is, before all this, obviously, California was really setting itself as, you know, as Governor Newsom said, a nation apart, its own nation. And in many ways, the antithesis of what's going on naturally with the Trump administration. So even though we have billions of dollars in deficits, is the Assembly is the legislator, are they going to lose sight of the fact of this California experiment? No, I don't think we are going to lose sight of it. I think we understand how special we are, what a, what a unique place that we are, whether it's our public university system, whether it's it's the arts, uh, whether it's, you know, the, the, the culture of the place. I think uh, in California, we, we think a little bit differently. Um, and if you've seen our reaction to COVID, the extent to which, for the most part, people did the right thing. They did the right thing on their own. I think it's all part of that narrative. Of course, people did the right thing on their own. But here we are, billions of dollars in deficits that you folks up in Sacramento need to deal with. Millions of jobs lost, thousands dead, so many more sick. And yet, you know, we're not even past probably the first part. So where do you get the hope that the state will rebound eventually? Well, I mean, I think that's it's always been sort of part of the the California narrative. It's a it's it's a tragic place. You think of like the poet Christopher Isherwood. He said California is a lot like like Palestine or, or any promised land. It's it's always filled with tragedy. We know in California that it's it's a place uh, where people come with great hope. Um, and sometimes those experiments don't work out the way we want them to. California uh, has always been filled with sort of the, the narrative and the meta-narrative of, of tragedy. But we as a state have always rebounded. Yeah, the boom and bust. So what is it then that brings us back to the boom? Is it the people? Is it the philosophy that we all seem to absorb here? Like, wh- wh- Where do you think we draw that source of strength from? Yeah, it's it's all of the above. I think it's I think it's the people. I think it's the way the people interact. I think it's it's our institutions, whether it's our cultural institutions, our institutions of higher education allow a kid from you know a certain economic background and a certain ethnic background to sit in a classroom with people from all over the world. 
And that's something that I think sometimes in, in California we underestimate. Our cultural institutions are like that too, whether it's our, our art museums or some of our civic organizations are like that too. We, we learn from one another in California. And when you learn from one another in California, you're really learning from the entire world. Yeah, one of those kids ends up becoming Speaker of the Assembly. Yes, for better or worse. <laughs> what has coronavirus taught you about the state? We're resilient. I mean, you know, what's amazing is that as an elected official, you know, I was in Sacramento the past two months, and we sit in the Capitol and we we think about what we're going to tell people. We're going to ask people to, you know, maintain social distance. We're going to ask people to, to not go out. We're going to ask people to wear masks. But ultimately, we know it's it's up to individual Californians. That, you know what it reminds me of? It actually reminds me of the drought, right? Every time there's sort of a, a, a problem with the drought, uh, I hear my mom yelling at my dad about running the hose uh, uh, on the front lawn or, or letting the, the sink run when he's shaving. It's those individual decisions that people make. It's those individual conversations that people have in their, in their own living rooms. That's ultimately uh, how we dealt with COVID as a state. Um, and, and that's ultimately what I learned about California. I learned about the strength of the character of the people in this state. As, a, as Speaker of the Assembly, what are you telling your fellow Assembly members in terms of a strategy? Because everyone, yeah, the budget's coming. Everyone's looking to Sacramento. Everyone's worried. Everyone's thinking not just about this year, but the coming year. So what are you telling them to make sure that all the constituents feel okay about what's coming? Well, you know what's interesting? I got elected in 2012, and I'm part of not only the largest class in the history of uh, in the history of the state, but we're also the the sort of elder statesman in in Sacramento. Now we've been there the longest, and we have been here only during good economic times. We've been here with budget surpluses. We've been here when we've been able to put money away in our rainy day fund, which we're now uh, glad we did. Um, so I'm telling the other members to to brace themselves. It's going to be a very different reality in terms of economically, in terms of the budget, but at the same time to not lose that sort of that California spirit, to continue to be ambitious, to continue to think about ways that we can address not only the COVID crisis, but, but new ways of thinking. People keep talking about what this will mean for the future. Are people going to telecommute more? You know, and I think it's those types of things that we need to think about that are ultimately the positives that can come out of this crisis. This LA Times podcast is presented by Blue Shield of California. The fight is tough, but so are you. Thank you, Frontline. This advertiser has no influence over editorial decisions or content. So, Speaker, shout out, you know, there's obviously here in Southern California, the assembly speakers that get the most shine are going to be the people in L.A. County, Orange County, you know, the bigger cities. So give some shout outs to some assembly members who maybe don't get as much prominence throughout the state, but that have been going above and beyond to help out their constituents during this pandemic. Yeah, I'm thinking of someone like Jim Wood from the North Coast as district runs from the Oregon border and, and Humboldt in the Redwoods all the way down to down to Santa Rosa, a guy who's district suffered badly from the wildfires uh, the last couple of years. 
He's our health chair. He's been charged with with making sure that, you know, we were addressing the whether it was PPEs or whether we were, you know, we had the hospital uh, hospital beds available, respirators, those types of issues. I'm thinking of Christy Smith from Northern LA County, who uh, chairs a committee we have on emergency response and how uh, she was, you know, during the middle of the crisis, had to had to come up to Sacramento to address those issues. He comes from an urban area, but uh, Phil Ting from San Francisco is our budget chair. And, you know, for a, a guy to have to address a $53 billion budget deficit is, is a difficult task. But Phil has taken it on and doing an amazing job. How are all of you communicating right now? I, I mean, obviously, when there are any meetings, it's via Zoom or whatever. But in, in your quote unquote off time, what, how are all of you folks strategizing to try to figure something out? It is Zoom, uh, telephone, email, pigeon, everything you can think of. We're doing uh, all uh, old school and new school technologies. Have you met any of them in person ever since uh, mid-March or so? Yeah, we we got back in, in session a couple of weeks ago. I think it was two weeks ago now. Um, we've had our socially distanced uh, sessions uh, and smaller committees. We've had a couple of meetings with uh, the members in the building. So since you were up in Sacramento through most of this, how eerie was it to see the state capitol basically empty? It was incredible. You know, I've been up here since uh, I think March 15th was a Sunday when I flew up here. I thought I'd be up here for for four days, which is my normal schedule, Sunday to Thursday. Uh, I've been up here ever since. Uh, it's been one thing after another, whether it was COVID or the budget crisis. Everybody else went home. I was in the state capitol one day. I was talking to one of the CHP who, who stand outside. She said usually there's something like 1,100 people in the capitol on a, on a daily basis, and she had counted four that went in that day. It is an amazing, uh, amazingly quiet, kind of eerie place. You know, you have those moments. You sit under the, the rotunda, you sit under the Capitol Dome, and you're the only one there, and you can take it in, and you realize in those moments how beautiful it is. So you, you have these kind of really cool moments where you can do things that you wouldn't normally do. Yeah, well, that, that's a once-in-a-lifetime moment. What about Governor Newsom? H- how do you think he has handled the crisis so far? I think he's done a good job under exceptionally difficult circumstances. I mean, in California, we haven't seen, obviously, too many people have died. But the rate of death has been uh, not what it has been in other places. He's been, you know, again, under very difficult circumstances. He's certainly answered the call. What about uh, your constituents? How are they doing? Because a lot of them are working class. Um, a lot of those cities have had higher than usual rates for COVID and also deaths as well. In, in fact, I interviewed one of your constituents, Sonia Velez. She was one of the first people that I talked to for this podcast about her uncle who had passed away. Yeah, it's been difficult. And, you know, the thing about my district, it's all small businesses, you know, whether it's restaurants or, or the dry cleaner. It's a district filled with small businesses, very vulnerable communities. We don't have a lot of the, the healthcare facilities that, that we need. A lot of those types of infrastructural investments just don't exist. It's been exceptionally difficult. Early on, a bunch of uh, mayors and city council members demanded a, a testing site. And we got L.A. County uh, on a phone call, and uh, that ended up happening. So we've seen a lot of civic engagement. We've seen a lot of great local leaders who have uh, answered the call and really had a difference in the community. And then, of course, while all of this is happening, like a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic, you're still a new dad. So how have you, as a, as a dad, as a husband, as just normal Anthony, been dealing with all of this? Yeah, it's, I don't know if you've been hearing during the interview, my daughter's <laughs> screamed a couple of times. Um, it, my daughter's eight months old. She turned eight, eight months a couple of weeks ago. 
She doesn't know what's going on. Her grandparents in LA haven't seen her in two months, so they've missed essentially a quarter of her life, which is tough. Yesterday, my mom said she's going to She's going to be standing up in her crib soon. She's been standing up in her crib for about a month already. So those types of things that that are hard and that you miss. But, you know, my wife is incredibly resilient, not only running her small business, but writing her dissertation. So we just keep rolling. Uh, We keep, you know, doing the work that we do and the work that's important to us. And I remember you told me something about how when you were young, your mom made you watch the moon landing, saying something to the effect that my, you know, my little son, he needs to see this because this is once in a lifetime uh, memory that's going to be seared in his mind. And, and I think you, you sent something to the effect that you and your daughter were also watching something together at the same time because you remembered that lesson that your mom taught you. Yeah, it was about a year and a half uh, when the, the moon landing happened and my mom always tells a story. She said, I, I knew you weren't going to remember it, but I wanted you to, to be able to say that you saw it, that you experienced. So when the moon landing happened, she put me on her lap and uh, made me watch it. And yeah, I mean, my, I, I have my daughter on my lap and we'll, we'll watch the news. It's, it's all background to her and she's obviously at eight months old, not exactly sure what's happening. But it's, I think it's an important part of her life. It's going to certainly influence uh, our state and influence our world. And it'll, to an extent, bracket, you know, a certain aspect of, of our lives and certainly of her life. That's it for today's episode of Coronavirus in California, Stories from the Front Lines. Thanks for listening. Do you have a story you want to share with us? Call our hotline at 213-986-5652 and leave us a message. That's 213-986-5652 or email me, gustavo.ariano at latimes.com. This podcast was hosted by me, Gustavo Ariano. Our producers are Paige Heimson and Stan Lee. Our senior producer is Rena Palta, and our executive producer is Abby Fentress-Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Heflin, and our original music was composed by Andrew Eben. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special gracias to Julia Turner, Shelby Grad, Hector Becerra, and Clint Schaff. For the latest coronavirus stories by my LA Times colleagues, including an up-to-the-minute tracker of cases across California, don't forget to visit our website. Right now, access to facts has never been more important, and the LA Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe, because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. Stay safe and see you tomorrow.